Hello, and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. This is your destination for conversations with the winners and finalists of the annual prizes, as well as discussions with book lovers from across the country. My guest for this episode is one of my favorite bookish people. She reads and writes and blogs, and here she is to introduce herself. My name is Carrie, and I am an avid reader. And I got my start, I guess, sort of reading in a more public realm through my blog, Pickle Me This. I've been blogging for 20 years, and it's through my blog that I've had all kinds of writing opportunities. Um, which eventually led to me getting the greatest job in Canadian books, I think, which is uh, being editor of the books website 49shelf.com. So it's the largest online platform for Canadian books. And I've been doing that for 12 years. Uh, And I just get to celebrate and be excited about Canadian books professionally, which is fantastic. And I also write my own Canadian books I've published two novels and a third is coming soon-ish. And so, yeah, my whole life is books and Canadian books, and I really like it that way. Carrie and I talked about the work she does with 49th Shelf, why book prizes are important, and her love of Harriet the Spy. Here's my conversation with Carrie Clare. So my first question for you is probably one of the hardest I'll ask. It always stumps a few people. But if you could be the character from any book, novel, poem, kids book, who would you be and why? It's not that tricky for me because I've thought about it a lot. Um, One of the most formative books I've read as a writer and as a reader is Harriet the Spy by Louise Fitzhugh, which I did not read till I was 27. I had read The Long Secret, the sequel, when I was young, and I loved it. But for some reason, I thought, I don't know how, but somehow I used to have an aversion to detective fiction. I don't have it anymore. But at the time, I thought that Harriet the Spy was about like some kid detective and just was not interested. So I didn't read it till I was older, which I think was fortunate because I probably, most of it would have gone over my head. But I read it when I was 27, and it blew me away. Harriet the Spy is so absolutely herself. She is so brave and she's so honest. And I would really, I I continue to work really hard to to channel those vibes in my own life. And, And I aspire to that. Although it's not an easy way to live. Harriet ruffles feathers. She has trouble. Um, but yeah, I want to be that brave and true to myself. It's funny, as I've done this recently, these classic books like Harriet the Spy and Nancy Drew seem to be like common threads through many uh, keen readers. It's funny how these people, these characters grabbed so many of us when we were just getting into books. And then they become like the building blocks of our personality. Like, I think there's a lot of us who were formed by Ramona Quimby as well. Um, Yeah, I don't know if I think about adult characters as much as someone I'd aspire to be I kind of like being myself um but um definitely Harriet M. Welsh is is a lodestar for me yeah so what are you reading right now I'm sure you're reading a f- bunch of things you always seem to be reading a lot I just finished like two hours ago uh, a little known book <laughs> Jazz by Toni Morrison 
Oh my gosh. It was so great. You've heard it here first. Toni Morrison. She's, she's <laughs> something else. Um, I've read a few of her books. I've read Beloved and I read um, Sula, but there's a fantastic uh, online bookstore based in Toronto. It's called Bellwoods Books and she sells vintage women's fiction. And um, I think I knew the pandemic wave was another one was coming because I just started ordering stuff online. And, and on New Year's Eve, I went through her website and ordered a whole bunch of books. And, and this is the first Canadian edition of Jazz by Toni Morrison. It was published in 1992. It's such a gorgeous hardcover. Um, and now it's mine. And I just read it. And the way I described it to the only other person I'm seeing right now, other than my kids, which is my husband, was that like there's books and then there's this book. Like it's just a whole other level of of literature and it just fit together so incredibly it was it was a kind of magic and yeah so that was pretty good it always seems like there's those books that like somehow they are they will always be separate from what we understand books to be and Toni Morrison just seems to be like there's like what you read and what you love and then you find that book that it's like it changes everything you thought a novel or a memoir could be in and she really does that yes for sure and then I also want to tell you about two other books I loved one is Time Squared by Leslie Kruger it was published by ECW Press last year and um, I try to read all the year's books that I can but there's always a whole bunch that I just I can't manage but this one slipped in under the wire and I'm so glad it did because it's brilliant it's it's a time travel book it's about these but it's very literary and it's about this um maybe by bookish is what I mean it's it's a bookish person's book uh it's about a couple um he is going to war she's you know thinking about her connection to him but in every scene in the book they're in a different era it starts in the Napoleonic Wars and then it moves forward through history and the Boer War and the First World War um and it 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 is a lot about about the role of women and their powerlessness in this world controlled by men intent on war making but then it gets really weird and it's I keep thinking about it as like Kate Atkinson meets Kazuo Ishiguro uh Times Squared is wonderful and then the other book I loved is Constant Nobody by Michelle Butler Hallett it is set in uh 1937 with uh, a spy a British spy who falls in love with this NKVD agent agent in um, Moscow and he is supposed to um, he he saves her and breaks all the rules and then they're in big trouble um, because you know you don't break rules in Stalinist USSR and it's just an incredible game it's Michelle Butler Hallett is an incredible writer she's so literary maybe even intimidatingly so in theory, except that her book is informed by spy fiction and also romance. So she just brings the best of genre into it. And that book blew me away. And so I I bought both those books for people for Christmas. And yeah, they're pretty great. They sound exciting. How do you put together your to read list? Like, obviously, the work you do through for 49th Shelf probably informs some of that. But how do you do you have a, a pile that you work through? Or is it kind of influenced by how you're feeling and what you want to read at a time? Definitely by how I'm feeling. Because, um, yeah, moods are ever changing. So like, often I will plan on what's next, but I don't plan beyond that. And, and that can change all the time based upon like last night I was looking at Instagram and there was a bookstore in Hamilton, Ontario that shared this book that Jane Goodall published last fall about hope. 
and I'm, I'm seriously craving books on hope and endurance right now. So I ordered it from my local bookstore right away. Um, so yeah, these, these diversions get thrown in, in front of my best intentions. It's, it's pretty random. I get lots of books in the mail. A lot of them I don't read because I'm only one person. And also I, I love buying books so much that I'm, I'm just making the, the pile larger. So it's, I, I have a whole shelf of what's to be read next and whatever, whatever feels right when it's time to, to pick up the next book. That's usually what I do. Does your reading shift when you're working on your own novel as you're kind of reading comparable titles? Do those start to work their way in too? I think so. I don't avoid books that are similar to what I'm writing. I really find like I I like to ride the coattails of of what other writers are doing. Um, it gives me a sense of of what the possibilities are for my own project, and even like the rhythm of prose and sentences. I like to be in that zone in my reading. It I don't feel like I'm I'm being derivative or copying. It it just I, I like to to shift between, I guess, everything I do is sort of all one project. And so what I'm reading is often connected to what I'm writing, for sure. I find it inspiring. Yeah, me too. So you mentioned Jane Goodall's book on hope and that you're looking for those kinds of books right now. But what are you looking for in a good book these days? I guess a, a good book is one that casts its spell. And I'm utterly convinced that you know, I, I, and I keep wanting to pick it up, you know, you know, sometimes you're reading a book and, and it seems like the, the more you read, the longer the pages still in front of you are like, and so I, I, I put books down all the time. It has to be a book where I can't see the writer's effort. If I can see the seams and and the work underpinning it, I just, I can't, it, it doesn't work for and one book that does not do that was um, Shashi Bat's book, uh, The Most Beautiful Substance on Earth. Uh, that was a book that was just so meticulously crafted that it seemed like it had been like conjured out of magic. It, and you, could, you have to work and work and work so hard to get to a book that looks effortless or that reads effortlessly. And my goodness, that book did it. And it also, I think I know it's a good book when I text all my friends and say, you have to go buy this book right away. And I did with Shashi Bat's book. The other book that comes to mind when you uh, mentioned, you know, those books that are just like, you can, you know, so much work went into it, but you can't see the fingers all over it, yeah. um, was uh, Michael Christie's Greenwood, uh, which I know you mentioned to me in, in the email that you sent, because I remember when I talked to him and we were talking about the structure of the book, and he said that it was inspired by the rings on a tree. And I was like, of course it was, but <laughs> it's not, it's not like I ever knew that when I was reading it. It's it was, so as soon as he said it, yeah. Panic. Yeah, I loved that book. I I don't read a lot of books by men. And partly it's because there's just so many books in general. And I feel like a lot of people are reading books by men. So like that doesn't need to be the thing that I'm worrying about. But it's funny that I do, you know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, is there enough white men in my I have to have to <laughs> make sure it's all even, which is ridiculous, because if, if white men were worrying about that, we'd be in a better place. Um, so, yes, I don't read tons of books by men. I um, but that Greenwood I finally read because 
every time I was in a bookstore, the bookseller would be like, have you read Greenwood yet? And finally, I was like, all these booksellers can't be wrong. They, they tend not to be, right? Um, and so, yes, I loved Greenwood. It was, and the book design, that was such a, a cool part of it. Um, yeah, and it was just so wholly immersive. Um, and yeah, I didn't see any of the seams or the work behind that one either. And it was one of those ones too, like when I picked it up, because it's no, it's not a slim book. I was like, oh boy, here we go. But it like, I lost myself to that book for days. I just didn't want to put it down. I thought it was just so great. It was, it still stands out and it's been a couple of years now since I've read it. Yeah, it was pretty magical. And I mean, books about trees, um, there, there's something about them. Uh, Ariel Gordon published um, an anthology of essays about trees a few years ago. She's a Winnipeg writer and I loved her book about trees. Um, and yeah, they, there's just, I, I think that's the kind of work. Trees have a lot to teach us at the moment. And I'm glad that writers are are really focusing on that. Yeah. So you mentioned that you were the editor of uh, 49th Shelf. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what 49th Shelf is and uh, the work that you do for them. 49th Shelf is a project of the Association of Canadian Publishers, um, and it's funded also by Heritage Canada. I'm trying to remember all the the important, because I don't don't have to worry about any of this. I have a wonderful amount of freedom to just, I guess, discover what's new and exciting in Canadian books. But it is a formidable, incredible project. My colleagues, the people who brought me into the project are Kylie Turner and Craig Riggs. And they've been running this project longer than I have uh, been involved because it's just been a huge undertaking. They do do incredible work promoting Canadian books and using, you know, through websites and using their their tech and marketing expertise to bring Canadian books to Canadian people. So I, I got involved, I think, in 2011. And I just, I, I, I love it because I think the idea of Canadian books is is not that exciting in itself. Like being Canadian is does not make a book remarkable, but within Canadian books, there's just so much there, and it defies, I think, all the cliches about Canadian. Everything is a Canadian book, and I love that. And I love that we can look at at graphic novels and and humor and detective fiction and uh, cookbooks. Like there's just such a huge breadth I don't feel like Canadian is a limit at all it's just full of possibility Uh, and so what we do on our site is it's it's a discovery platform there are links to buy books there are links to buy books through local bookstores so we really try to promote independent booksellers Um, we don't redirect people to places to buy the books you don't buy them through our site Um, and all the data comes directly from publishers and so there's just any anything you want to know about a book published in Canada, but it's uh, we have excerpts. A really fun thing on our blog is we often have writers write recommended reading lists, which I love as a writer because it, it's an opportunity to situate your book in, in your kind of dream literary context. And I feel like connections between books is how books are exciting and, and find their way into new readers' hands. So looking at books in, in strange contexts, like we had we had one list once that was like Great Literary Drunks. That was by Billy Livingston. You know, just, just thinking a little, 
little bit outside the box of, about what connects books too. So yeah, I, I just have a lot of fun with it. I find it really inspiring and we have giveaways and there's a like a pretty dedicated community who who is ex- as excited about Canadian books as I am. Why do you think it's important for us to be excited about Canadian books? Uh, I know this is something you're very passionate about, and I am as well. But um, why do you think it's something that readers need to pay more attention to? Because if we're not excited about it, no one else is going to be. Um, American books and and British books, too, they they have a really high profile internationally. And for good reason. I, I love books from lots of different places but our our homegrown audience is is sort of where the grassroots begins for for supporting Canadian books and so yeah that I guess just that this is this is where it starts and it's not that Canadian books you know don't fare as well on the international stage or or that they need any sort of special kind of support but just we have a, a smaller population the American population is huge so we've really got to do the work here if we're just focusing on books that are being promoted by American outlets our our own work is going to be sort of lost in in the flood yeah yeah I know the website recently uh, was building out the award winners and finalists of literary prizes across the country. And I was curious why um, it was important to include that in the website. So, yes, um, it's sort of a a work in progress. Um, We've had books or lists of books that are award winners for years, but they've never all been collected in one place. And this is one of the challenges of a website with so much data. Like we have, we have so many books on the site and then there'll be a great book list, you know, promoting the the BC book prizes. It wasn't the Yukon then, like in in 2013 or something. And then it gets lost in, in our um, archives. And so when the website was redesigned, finding a way to spotlight awards was really important because, um, well, everyone's looking for the national awards anyway. It's it's a big thing. People like to see the, the Gillers and the Governor General's prizes. Um, but I am super passionate about regional book prizes across the country uh, because it's just a great way to shine a light on books that maybe are, are a little bit under the radar in other ways. So on our awards page, there'll be the books that everyone's looking for. And then, you know, with, with the more regional prizes, there'll be the books that everyone needs to find. But it is a work in progress. Our archives, um, I have to do a whole bunch of work manually to, to make all that happen. So if there is a book list that, that is not on the site, you need to get in touch with us and, and we will make it happen. Um, cause yeah, putting someone, someone got in touch with me recently. Cause I think it was the, the Fred Cogsworth book prize. Like I, I didn't know that one. And so, um, but we, yeah, we made it happen. So, and yeah, I love regional book prizes. I think I might be the person in Ontario who gets like most excited when the Saskatchewan book awards long list comes out because there's just such fantastic small presses across this country and the rest of the country doesn't, doesn't get enough opportunity to to see what's happening and so with these regional prizes uh, it's celebrating the best of what's happening in all different parts of Canada and I'm excited that we get a chance to uh, bring that spotlight to people everywhere. And I know people have a lot of like there's a lot of mixed opinions 
I think specifically probably with writers, about book prizes. And I'm wondering why you think they're important, uh, maybe for writers and for readers. Well, I'd love to win one. So <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? Yeah, I think as a writer, we're just constant. As writers, we are constantly looking for um, any sign in the universe that that our books are out there. Uh, and so, you know, appearing on a bestseller list, so I've heard, is, is one way to to have some affirmation. And yeah, so are prize nominations. And, you know, all prizes, like they're not, they come, some of them come with really great cash awards too, which can be terrific. But I think even more importantly, in general, it's just this sign that like your book exists and the world knows it's there. And that's what's really exciting for writers. But I think as a reader and, and as editor at 49 Shelf, what I really love about them is the same thing I love about any list of books. Like it just, it's random and, and prize, prize lists are arbitrary. They're so random. I usually don't agree with them. Um, <laughs> the Carrie Claire Book Awards would be quite different than the Gillers, <laughs> I think. Um, but I, I don't have much of a cash prize, sadly. However, um, it's the same thing I talked about with recommended reading lists in general. Like just pick up a handful of books and look at the connections between them and, and look at what the connections between them are telling us about the world right now and and the world of literature right now and I think that's always illuminating and and fun so yeah I'm here for it I think what I love about regional prizes um and this is true for even before I started working for the BC and Yukon book prizes but it's like this little snapshot of of what a province or territory is in a sense because you know i think sometimes the work that's being written by the people who who live in a space uh it really shines a different light on maybe the story that we've been told about a part of the country that we maybe have never lived in or visited absolutely and i think also there are books that turn up on regional lists that i, I might not have heard about those books and so um I, it's an opportunity for them to to rise to the top and get a bit of attention it's been interesting too to see the trends like uh, it's, it's a work in progress always but um when I started doing 49 shelf it was common for prize lists and for um any list like for a writer to submit a list with with you know all white people on it or all men on it and that does not happen now. And not because people are fulfilling quotas and worried about political correctness. It's just because we looked around one day and thought, I I'm speaking as, as a, you know, a, it's a, I'm a gatekeeper of a small kingdom. But, um, you know, looking around, I thought, like, what is this? Look, look at all that's missing. And um, prize lists are, are so much more interesting than they were 10 years ago. And I think that is to readers benefit. Um, it's, it's super exciting and encouraging. What have you noticed as, as the editor of 49th Shelf, but also as a avid reader about the books in BC and Yukon in your time uh, reading and also editing the website? Um, I guess just the, the presence of Indigenous writers has been one of the most encouraging changes because at the at the very beginning of my my work at 49th Shelf when we thought about Indigenous writers everyone thought about Joseph Boyden and and then Eden Robinson like and thank goodness for Eden Robinson but like she can't do all the work right like that's a lot 
a lot of work for one person to represent everything. And that's just not the case anymore. There is a fantastic wealth of, of fabulous fiction, nonfiction. There's, there's, I think there's always been a fair amount of poetry. Finding poetry by Indigenous women writers like, was never challenging. Um, there's terrific work. But, um, but fiction, and, and also like fiction published by large publishers, which can give writers the exposure that they they really deserve. And so um, that has been super exciting. And and yes, it is a trend. I, I guess that's the way it works. But like the the result of that trend is just incredible work like um, Michelle Good's um, Five Little Indians. And in terms of memoir, one book I mentioned was Helen Knott's In My Own Moccasins, which was nominated for for a BCU Com book prize. And um, I loved that book. I loved the, the, the combination of, of rawness and polish all at once. Um, I found it so illuminating, but I think that's also the book that she said, I didn't write this book for you, white lady. Like I wrote this for um, other indigenous women and I can imagine what it must be like to encounter stories like that and seeing your own experiences reflected after, after years of, of not. So yes, that's an incredible, um, a, a great move forward. And, you know, another BC writer who I have adored her work um, is Monique Graysmith, who writes for children, but she also writes nonfiction and then she writes for adults as well. Tilly, I can't remember her most recent book. Um, I reviewed it. I loved it. It was about um, Tilly goes on a, a cross-country journey with a bunch of elders. And Monique Graysmith is just an extraordinary person. For a while, she had a podcast called Love is Medicine. Um, and it was medicine. Uh, she's And her, her children's books are, are so... Um, they're so simple, but grounded in the most important philosophical approaches to life we can have. So yes, I love, so just, you know, the exciting thing is the opportunity for authors like this to sort of be in the tip of my tongue when you ask me that question. Um, I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. And Monique is working on a YA adaptation of Braiding Sweetgrass, which I am beyond excited for. There could not um, be a better person for that project. Her her approach. So her book in, in Ontario, we have, I think it's, yeah, maybe it's not. The Grade 1 Giveaway. Does the Grade 1, do you know, do you have that in BC? Do you know about it? I think it might be across Canada. So it's run through TD Bank and the Canadian Children's Book Centre. And all Grade 1 students get a copy of the same book. And I think it's across Canada, actually. And her book, um, You Hold Me Up, was the Grade 1 Giveaway when my second child was in Grade 1. And um, I I posted about it on Twitter because it was just I, I love that book. It was so great. And then she came to Toronto and she came and visited my child, my child's school and did a library visit. And I got to sneak in. It was like the last time I was in my kid's school. Um, and I saw the way the children responded to her and the, and the way she 
I guess just the respect she had for them as readers and people. And it was so awe-inspiring. I love how she calls, she doesn't call them kids or children. Like that respect, She what I'm always taken by with Monique is how she talks about them as being our youngest citizens. Oh. And I and I thought, what if what a shift it would be if we really believe, like on a political level, if we saw children as, of course they are, but I think sometimes we, yeah. the, the people at the top forget, yes, they are our youngest citizens and they have, they need to be respected and included as well. I'd put Monique Gray Smith in charge of everything. Oh, that's a lot. Again, yes. a lot of work for one woman. <laughs> she just, she is so wise. Um, and so I think we should all just read everything she writes. Agreed. Agreed. I think we could just, you know, that could be the, the end on this, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> the final point, but um I know you mentioned some other books as well. And one of the ones that I, I wanted to, to ask you if you wanted to expand on or or talk more about was Robin Stevenson's My Body, My Choice, because that one stands out in my mind for uh, as a, a feminist, because it was such a I think it was a very special selection as the winner of the Sheila A. E. Goff Children's Literature Prize, because, of course, it is about reproductive rights, which is a controversial subject, especially for our youngest <laughs> citizens, as Monique would say. Um, and I know that's a topic that's dear to your heart. So I wondered if you wanted to talk more about that book. Yeah, so I've carved out a really interesting niche for myself. Whenever a book pertaining to abortion or reproductive justice is published in Canada, someone will send it to me and they'll be like, I thought of you, <laughs> Carrie. Um, because yeah, abortion has been something that I talk about all the time because it's been part of my life in a very ordinary sense. And I think underlining the ordinariness of abortion, like to the point where it's a book that sits on the coffee table in my living room, um, Robin Stevenson's My Body, My Choice, I mean, um, I think that is um, radical, but also like abortion, it's just normal. And I think I think normalizing it is is really great. Um, I think that if I had grown up with a book about abortion um, sitting around my house for teens, um, I guess that book specifically, my own perception of, of abortion would have been so different throughout my life. Like even after I had an abortion, there were things I didn't understand for years. I wrote once about how everything I know about my abortion, I learned when I actually had my first child, because there were all these things about my pregnancy that I hadn't understood. And then all of a sudden, um, yeah, I learned so much. So the idea that my own children are going to have this book, um, and my 12 year old has read it, she really enjoyed it. Um, she, she hears a lot about abortion and is totally bored by it, which I think is great. Um, but even though she gets bored by it, she, she really liked that book. And so yeah, I think um, it was a wonderful pick. And it was so well done. It was um, it managed to be history, um, but also like contain voices. I mean, it's, it's the real world stories of, of people who died before access to safe abortion was popular, like knowing that these were people with families and names and, and that book, it underlines that. So yeah, I love that book. I love what Robin Stevenson's doing. I think she's fantastic. And um, I think another she's another writer we're all really lucky to have yeah I wondered if you wanted to talk about your uh you called them your literary dream team um I'm trying to remember what what my first like 
my, I love Julie Morstadt's art and I'm trying to remember where I first started reading it. Um, anyway, yeah, as, as long as I've had kids, it seems that I've, I've just been loving books that are written by Kyo McClear and illustrated by Julie Morstadt. I have a Julie Morstadt uh, print hanging in my hallway. It's how to be brave. And it's a child sitting at the top of a slide. Um, and so, yeah, I loved it began with a page, which is the picture book biography of Kyo Fujikawa, who is a fantastic children's book illustrator. And she was Japanese American and her family was um, interned during World War II. And it's just, it's a brutal story. It's, it's bleak and it's real. And yet someone who lived through it made these incredible playful images of, of babies and puppies. And for a picture book, I think to hold um, those very different realities at once is incredible. Um, so, yeah. And, and I think, you know, highlighting um, pioneering children's book makers from from the 1950s I mean especially women we we don't know their stories very well so that book was was so important and yeah I love everything that Kyle McClear and Julie Morstad do particularly together but even apart they're just they're fantastic so what are you working on these days Carrie as the new year starts uh are you starting to read 2022 books or are you do you get a little bit of a break before the the tsunami hits January is kind of like a it, it's not the busiest right it, it's the calm before the storm and so I'm trying to catch up on the 2020 books that I haven't been able to um, read yet before I get bowled over by by more new releases. And I spent the last two weeks of December uh, just reading all the random books that were on my shelf that I hadn't read yet. Um, books that that you know maybe were published like sixty years ago or even three years ago, which sometimes gives the impression of of being uh, not very timely. And so they're I love it because at the end of the holidays I end up with a stack of books that looks like no one else's stack of books. Um, and I think that I love reading like that, you know, books that you find in little free libraries and books that like I stole from a cottage. And um, I love, I love carving out my own reading life um, instead of just reading what's on the bestseller list and what's on the prize list. And so every January, my intention is to bring that spirit into the new year. And so that's why I read jazz, which isn't you know the top or most of everyone's concern at the moment um and and I want to keep doing that and reading backlist titles and and discovering authors that I should have read a long time ago um but probably like by by March or so I will be thick in the new releases thanks to Carrie Claire for being on the podcast Carrie is an author and the editor of the website 49th Shelf if you want to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website, bcyukonbookprizes.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we share news about the winners and finalists, as well as information about upcoming events. Next week on Writing the Coast, you'll hear my conversation with Zoe Grams. Zoe is a writer, the co-founder of Upstart and Crow, and the founder of ZG Stories. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.